to several scriptures. First of all, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you will find this on page 1351. Page 1351. Mark chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 21 through 31. This is, of course, on your large print sheets as well. Mark chapter 1, reading verses 21 through 31. Actually, it starts on 1350. Page 1350, continuing on to 1351. This is the word of God. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Then turn over a couple of pages to 1353, Mark chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5. Mark chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5, page 1353, or on your large print sheets. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then turn with me to page 101, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> page 101 in your large print sheets. 
or, or excuse me, in your pew Bible and also in your large print sheets. Page 101, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy male servant, nor thy female servant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger who is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was at Covenant College up on Wilcom Mountain, Georgia, many years ago as a student, one of my roommates was a South Carolina boy who uh, eventually, like myself, became a Presbyterian minister. And that roommate of mine said to me on at least one occasion, Frank, it's better to aim for a star and miss than to shoot for a skunk and hit it. Now his point is obvious. It's better to aim for a high ideal and miss it by a mile rather than to shoot for a low goal and hit the bullseye. And children, I think you know what would happen. I think you know what would happen if you hit the skunk. It's not going to be very good. It's going to stink. And so it's better, you see, not to aim low, but to aim high. Even if it takes arduous work, ad astra, the the Latin phrase, unto the stars, you say. It's better, it's better to strive for that than it is to have a low goal, a low ideal, that at the end of the day actually stinks. Now, in dealing with the fourth commandment, then, we must aim high, shooting for the stars. And it is tough, as we will see. It is difficult. It is challenging. Of all the commandments, the fourth commandment is a tough one in so many ways. It challenges us in so many respects. But we must shoot for the stars. Now last time, last Lord's Day, we saw how Jesus has commanded that we observe the first day of the week, not the seventh day, the first day of the week. This is according to Jesus' command and the example of his apostles. He is the Lord of the Sabbath as he clearly indicated, and therefore he has the authority to change the day of the observance. He has performed his work, his work of salvation, including the resurrection, and entered into his rest, as we saw last week from Hebrews chapter 4. 
And we follow him then in entering into our rest on the eighth day, which of course is also the first day of the week. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit sealed the holy nature of this day by being poured out on the day of Pentecost, which was a Sunday. His apostles observed the first day of the week as that day when the church would gather for worship. That's why, for example, we read in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, not the seventh, there's no indication of Christian worship taking place on the seventh day in the New Testament. On the first day of the week, the church was gathered there at Troas. Remember where Eutychus fell out the window, fell, fell asleep at the, the long preaching of the Apostle Paul. And yet it was the first day of the week on which the church gathered for worship. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Let every one of you on the first day of the week lay in store the collection. And we also noted that church history testifies of the change of day going back even uh, to just perhaps a few decades uh, after the time of Christ and continuing on. It was, this was, was not unlike what Seventh-day Adventism maintains that the Pope is the one that changed the day. No, my friends, the church recognized the change of day and you find this by numerous churchmen as well as church councils. So last time we saw why we worship on the first day of the week and not the seventh. Well, today then we want to see, uh, we want to consider the question, what should you do to observe the Sabbath? What should you do to observe the Sabbath? Well, Sabbath observance is to be characterized by three things. And when I ask children, when I ask you later, and older people, when I ask you later, what did you learn from the message? I want you to remember the, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember three words. Rest, worship, mercy. Rest, worship, mercy. Rest, worship, mercy. If there's nothing else you remember today, I want you to remember those things so that when I ask you or when Elder Patillo asks you afterwards, you will know what answer to give. Rest, worship, mercy. So let's look then, because these are the three things that characterize the Sabbath. Rest, worship, mercy. So let's look at these three activities, if you will. And the first is that of rest. Rest. Now, of course, we are to rest, to be sure, as uh, from sinful activities. Now, we're always supposed to rest from sinful activities, okay? But we are especially to do so in terms of the Lord's Day. But more than resting from sinful activities, we are to rest from worldly employments and recreations, worldly employments and recreations, that would be lawful on the other six days. Worldly employments and recreations that would be lawful, that would be legitimate 
on the other six days of the week. This includes resting from commercial activities. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 and following. Nehemiah 13, verses 15 and following. In those days, I, Nehemiah, saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended uh, with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning or making common, by profaning the Sabbath. And so commercial activities, but also recreational activities as well. One of our scriptures that we read from today was Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Let me read those two verses again. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Okay, so you get the picture here. So you like doing things, you like having fun, you like doing your own thing. And God says, turn away from such things on the Sabbath. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing, from walking your own way, from doing your pleasure, including recreations, on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, number one, what should the Sabbath be characterized by? Rest. Rest. But secondly, it should be characterized by worship. And we could even say more broadly, worship and religion or religious activities. In general, this is one of the specific reasons. This is one of the specific reasons why the Sabbath has been given. Isaiah 66, verse 23. <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, here towards the end of Isaiah, it talks about all flesh, all nations worshiping God. Verse 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And so worship in general is what we are called upon to do on the Lord's Day. But then there are specific examples of this as well. Now look with me at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. 
This, of course, is with regard to the Lord Jesus in his life. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what did he do? He read the scripture and he preached from it. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country and so forth. So the reading and the preaching of the word. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We've mentioned Pentecost Sunday, where now in the new covenant era, now that Christ has risen from the dead, we honor the, the Lord's day. We honor the resurrection day, the first day of the week. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, was on a Sunday, and this is precisely what you have in terms of the preaching, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and so forth. He preached a sermon. And then when they were cut to the quick, verse 37, when they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so, as the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the day of Pentecost, now the water of baptism was poured out, was sprinkled upon them, and of course their children as well. But the point here is that both preaching and baptism were legitimate activities for the Lord's Day. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We've already mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. Acts 20, verse 7. Now, when, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So we have preaching, and we have the breaking of bread, which, of course, is communion. What's also interesting, though, look at verse 11. 
knowing he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And so not only, uh, not only worship, but then this religious activity of fellowship. Now look at Psalm 92. We sang Psalm 92 last week. Psalm 92. As you turn there, I will mention that uh, you'll know that numerous of the Psalms have titles. And so when you turn to Psalm 92, you see that the title says, A Psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And so the singing of praise, again, is an appropriate thing for the Sabbath. As we come back to the New Testament, we see Mark chapter 14, excuse me, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, and verse 1, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. So what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? He's eating. He's fellowshipping with the brethren, is he not? Or with these people. And so this is a perfectly legitimate thing to do, to engage in fellowship. And then turn back to Mark chapter 1. We read from this today, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So preaching, but also teaching. That's, again, that's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Sabbath school on the Lord's Day, is for teaching. So worship, in general terms, we could say, but also understanding that religious activities are also legitimate as well. So rest, worship, and children, that third item, don't forget, is mercy. Mercy. Um, and so, what does it mean? And by the way, when we say mercy, of course, we want to show mercy on the Lord's Day, but we talk about items of mercy and necessity. We talk about items of mercy and necessity. So it's something that is that was legitimate to show mercy, to show compassion, but there must be a compelling nature to it as well. We've already mentioned Luke 14, verse 1, where eating and drinking, that's what he did. That's what Jesus did on the Sabbath. He ate and he drank. And so we too consume food. We eat food, as is appropriate, as something that is important and indeed necessary. We could also think of defending from both foreign and domestic enemies. You remember that Israel marched around Jericho Remember that? Seven days they marched around Jericho. So that means they had to march around on the Sabbath. Which today we think of soldiers and policemen who protect us from foreign and from domestic enemies. So if you're a policeman, that's perfectly legitimate. Or a soldier, perfectly legitimate to be on duty. Or, an, or a fighter controller looking at radar screens 
perfectly legitimate to do that on the Sabbath day. What about putting out fires? Well, that's necessary to preserve both life and property. And so we have firemen, and we have people who can call 911 if there's a fire. So what do you have to have? You have to 911 operators too, right? That's again a manifestation of mercy and necessity. What about visiting the sick? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. We read again, Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and following. There was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, Let us alone. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, and so forth? And so Jesus then, uh, not only there, uh, not only healed spiritually, but also healed physically. When you look at chapter 3 of Mark, which again we looked at, he healed the man of the withered with regard to his withered hand on the Sabbath. And so visiting the sick, healing the sick, we had an example just this afternoon of this man that was out on our porch here and who was complaining of chest pains. And so we called the ambulance. And so nurses and doctors and uh, EMTs and even in, in hospitals and hospice centers, CNA, Certified Nursing Assistants, all of these would come under this category with regard to providing activity that is merciful and necessary. What about relieving the poor? Well, again, that's similar to that, is it not? Relieving the poor. And, of course, preserving preserving the life of man and beast, feeding cattle on the Lord's day and taking care of pets on the Lord's day and getting the ox out of the ditch. Of course, you're not supposed to put him in on Saturday night. But nevertheless, if he falls into the ditch, yes, it is legitimate to get him out. Paul sailed on the Sabbath, and the sailors had to be vigilant on that day. You couldn't let the ship, just the boat or the ship, just sail itself. And so this is another manifestation of preserving life of man and beast. Doctors sometimes have to operate in an emergency on the Lord's Day. One of the, one of the prayer requests you had that we had received from someone off uh, uh, the street here uh, earlier today was his brother-in-law, a pastor who apparently was having surgery today. And so doctors sometimes have to operate uh, even on the Lord's Day in an emergency situation. Also, witnessing and counseling. Witnessing and counseling. And here we could look at Luke 13. Um, Luke 13, uh, verses... Uh, uh, 14 and following. Here Jesus had healed someone. Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then Jesus said, and Jesus answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, Think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. 
And so what is Jesus doing? He's witnessing and he's counseling. And therefore spreading the good news is also uh, appropriate for the Lord's Day. But then there's one more I could just mention in terms, and this sort of relates to rest, but just plain resting. That can also be something which is merciful and necessary. You know that Reformed Presbyterians are referred to as being the Covenanters with reference to the Scottish Covenanters of the 17th century. Sometimes we refer to having a good Covenanter nap If uh, this was uh, in other congregations that had a morning and an evening service, many times folks would take a good covenanter nap on the Lord's Day afternoon, and that too is appropriate. So I want to remind you all, because children, you're not going to forget this, I'm sure. Rest, worship, mercy. Well, what is the manner then of performing these activities? Well, it should be done with sincerity. Sabbath observance obviously should not be done hypocritically. That hypocrisy would be contrary to an attitude of serving God from the heart. So with sincerity, with reverence, with reverence as we come before God. The Sabbath is a holy day. We're to do so with diligence, with care, and with attention. Indeed, there should be an expectancy about the Sabbath. We should be expectant. We should anticipate the joy. And, uh, well, the, the, we, we should anticipate the, the presence of God, but also then we should anticipate the joy. We should observe the Sabbath with love fervor of spirit, enthusiasm enthusiasm of spirit, delight, and joy. I come back to Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. Isaiah 58 verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight. Verse 14 then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. You see, the Sabbath is a celebration. The Sabbath is a celebration of resurrection. It is a celebration of the resurrection of Christ and therefore a celebration of our own. And this attitude then is contrary to a legalistic spirit that says, oh, well, it's Sunday again. No. It's Sunday again. It's the Lord's Day. That's the point. What about before and after then? What about preparation? Well, we're to remember it ahead of time. We're to plan ahead so that our worldly business can be finished by Saturday evening. A seminary friend of mine would conscientiously clear his desk Saturday night of all his work. And my mom always said that she started, you know when she started to get ready for Sunday? 
the preceding Monday. In other words, she planned for it. The shoes were shined, right? She planned for it. Just like anything, you're going on vacation, what do you do? You plan for it. And so it is with the Sabbath day. You plan for it. You remember it ahead of time, planning ahead so that our worldly business can be finished by Saturday evening and also that we would prepare our hearts for worship. Sometimes the Puritans and others would have what was called Sabbath preparation. So on a Saturday evening, they would sing the Psalms, they would gather for prayer, and so forth. Uh, By the way, you know what I've discovered? Now, I'm a college football fan, okay? I love college football. But you know what I've discovered? is that the closer I get to midnight on a Saturday night watching college football, the more distracted I am and the more I'm caught up with those things. And so preparing yourself, and on the Lord's Day itself, worshiping in private before public worship. And afterwards, what should we do? After public worship, engaging in family worship, engaging again in private worship, listening perhaps to messages uh, on, uh, from uh, sermon audio or from YouTube that are appropriate. But more than that, more than those activities, in terms of our attitude, it should be that of longing for the eternal Sabbath rest. That's how we observe the Sabbath and particularly the afterwards of it. Well, my first point of application is this. Don't forget, children, older person, don't forget, I'm going to ask you afterwards, rest, worship, mercy. It's really very simple, isn't it? And yet, why do we forget? Well, let me suggest that we forget, first of all, because our focus is this-worldly rather than other-worldly. That's why we forget. We get caught up in all the things of this life. Indeed, we focus on what we can see rather than what we cannot see. And that's the reason why we're called upon to remember the Sabbath day, not just to remember the day, but to remember what it's there for and remember the substance of it. Remember what it's all about, which is to celebrate our creator. In six days he labored and then he rested, but also to celebrate our savior and to remember that. But we forget Because we are so earthbound, we get so caught up in the cares of this life. All of us do that. And yet, we need to remember, rest, worship, mercy. And so I, secondly, by way of application, not just forget that, but secondly, every Sunday then, ask yourself this question. How do your actions fit this pattern of rest, worship, mercy. How do they fit? 
Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll talk about what the Sabbath day, what the fourth commandment forbids. Right now, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Let the Holy Spirit work right now. Think. How do your actions fit this pattern of rest, worship, and mercy? If they don't fit, then you're not living up to what the fourth commandment calls you to. You're not aiming for the stars. You're shooting for the skunk. And then finally, by way of application, be Christ-centered in your activities. Be Christ-centered in your activities. Do you have opportunity, for example, to show the compassion of Jesus on the Lord's Day as Jesus healed the sick, as, as Jesus had compassion on the poor? Do you have opportunity to show the compassion of Jesus? Are you taking advantage of those opportunities? Are you delighting in the worship of Jesus on the Lord's Day? You know, this is what we read in Isaiah uh, chapter 56. In Isaiah chapter, what do we read today? Isaiah 56, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Who does that? It's Jesus who gives us that new name, who gives us that everlasting name. It goes on. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Are you delighting in the worship of Jesus who is fulfilling, who fulfilled this passage? Are you delighting in the worship of Jesus on the Lord's day? Finally, are you resting in Jesus as the one who has worked, who has worked the work of redemption and entered into his rest for you? May God give us the grace to do so as we observe the Sabbath with these three thoughts in mind. Rest, worship, mercy. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And Father, we do give thanks for the rest that we have in Christ, the, the fact that we can enter into his rest because of his resurrection and because of his resurrection power in our lives. So we do thank thee, Lord, for rest. We thank thee for worship. We thank thee for the privilege of worship and also, Lord, for the fact that our souls, our spirits are lifted up as we worship thee. And we thank thee, Father, also for mercy and for the opportunity to show mercy to others. So, Lord, we pray 
that thou wouldst be pleased to accomplish these things in our lives in the life of the church. And we'll thank thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, please turn to Psalm 48, Selection B. After the... Uh...